Welcome to Fresh Take, a candid interview series featuring thought leaders and innovators from across the Capital Region. These one-on-one conversations highlight the incredible work happening in our communities and showcase both where we are and where we are going as a region. Good morning and welcome to Fresh Take, a virtual interview series hosted by the Greater Washington Partnership that features business and community leaders who are taking action to power inclusive growth across our region. Um, My name is Francesca Iofreda, and I oversee the partnership's inclusive growth and skills and talent work. And today, I am so honored and thrilled to be joined by Ruth Williams Brinkley, a business and community leader, a mentor, a friend, and an overall outstanding person. Um, So Ruth, thank you for being here today. I I won't steal Ruth's thunder um, because we could spend the whole time sharing her accolades and accomplishments, but to provide a brief background, Ruth is the president of Kaiser Foundation Health Plan and Hospitals of the Mid-Atlantic States. In this role, she oversees all of Kaiser Permanente's care delivery and health plan operations in Washington, D.C., suburban Maryland, Baltimore, and Northern Virginia. Ruth has more than 40 years of executive experience in healthcare. She joined Kaiser Permanente in uh, 2017 and served as the president of the Northwest. Prior to that, she was CEO of Kentucky One Health, Kentucky's largest integrated health system. Ruth serves on a number of boards, including DePaul University, the University of Phoenix, and the Clinical Center Research Hospital Board of the National Institutes of Health. And she's received a number of awards and recognition, including being one of the top 25 women in healthcare, one of the top 25 minority executives in healthcare, and one of the most admired CEOs in healthcare. Um, So as you can see, very excited for today's discussion and at the partnership, we are so thrilled to have been working with Ruth and the Kaiser team on our inclusive growth work. Um, They've been a core member of our inclusive growth strategy council and they're just so foundational to this region's economic development. Um, So Ruth, welcome to today's program. We're delighted to have you here. So let's go ahead and jump into our conversation uh, because we have a lot to cover. So Ruth, For our guests listening here today who may not know you well, um, can you tell us a little bit about your early career as a nurse and your pivot to healthcare administration? You've worked across the country in healthcare and as an executive leader in the field. So we'd love to just know a little bit more about your career path and what brought you to this region relatively recently. Thank you, Francesca. And it is such a pleasure to be with you today. It is, um, it, you just bring out so much in your guests and, and I just want to thank you. And before I uh, tell you, before I answer your question, I also want to congratulate you on the tremendous event last week. It was truly, truly an honor to join you, Vice President Harris, Secretary Romano, and so many others as you announced such a historic commitment in support of underrepresented people. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So returning to your question uh, about my background and journey, um, I grew up in in rural Georgia, in the segregated South, really. My family sheltered me from much of what was happening at the time because my grandmother was a a teacher. And uh, also, I think she just, in her wisdom, just sheltered us from a lot of it. Uh, Where I grew up and how I grew up, I wasn't aware, as aware, in retrospect, as I should have been probably of the inequities and what we know today. 
Um, however, today, as I look back, I can see there were many that existed. I went into nursing at the encouragement of my grandmother. She saw my passion for helping people and, and caring for the whole person and, and their families. And so as many of us do, I worked my way up uh, the ladder from being a bedside nurse and taking on nursing leadership responsibilities, becoming a chief nurse, and then becoming a chief executive officer of uh, health system. Um, I, I, all along the way, I did, I have to say, I felt some uncertainty with each new opportunity. You know, we all have our insecurities. Um, however, in spite of that, I learned the value of saying yes to every single opportunity. I learned to never turn down an opportunity. Um, my grandmother instilled that in me along with hard work. And I've done that consistently through my career. And, and fortunately, it has served me well. Now, in keeping with that, between being a chief nurse and chief executive officer, I had a, I took a role as a consulting, a, in a consulting role, uh, professional services, which gave me an important business background and experience that I didn't have as uh, a chief nurse. So I, that helped to round me out. And I, I moved from providing care to overseeing the delivery of high quality care for, for many reasons. So we have the influence, we have the opportunity to influence more as a CEO. And leading a health system, I've been able to make decision and take decisions and take strategic actions to help grow access uh, to care for more people. So it, it's been good. I'm really proud of the work I've done. I'm proud of the people I've worked with because you and I both know, and all of us know that nobody does this alone. It takes a village. It, it really takes everybody. So I'm, I'm really pleased with that. And I'm, and that's how I ended up being at Kaiser. Wow. Thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing a little bit about kind of your, your personal journey and your professional journey. Um, you've clearly touched so many dimensions of the healthcare ecosystem. So you moved to this region in June 2020 during the height of the pandemic. So can you talk to us a little bit about your role at Kaiser during that time and your goals as you, re as you lead a new region and a workforce kind of during the, the pandemic? Yes. Well, uh, I, yes, I did come here at the height of the pandemic. And let me just say, just getting on an airplane at that time was, was quite a challenge, but I did it. And, and it was a uniquely challenging time. Um, it was essential to stem the tide of COVID, of the COVID-19 infections. And we were all sort of a little bit frightened. Um, we didn't really know what to do. The science was evolving. And uh, fortunately, we were working with amazing professionals, uh, infectious diseases, uh, disease professionals. It, it just was a, just a very interesting time, probably the most interesting time of my entire life. We had the uh, COVID-19, we had social injustice, we had economic crises, we had racism. And so it was a convergence of so many factors at one time. And so we stayed nimble and followed the evolving guidance on care and infection prevention from the CDC, from our local and uh, jurisdictional health departments. And we also saw uh, increased incidents of social justice around the country against, against many people, including communities of color, unfortunately. All of this made it more important for me to be a strong leader as I entered this market. 
uh, from my perspective, uh, this strength equated to uh, the business community and being steady, being steady for our employees, being steady for those who depended on us for, for care. In a time of uncertainty and, and with so much in flux, I was determined to demonstrate that steadiness, to make sure that um, people knew that while we didn't know what was evolving in terms of the science, that, that we would follow the science and that we could continue to provide healthcare. And let me tell you, it was really important that, uh, that we were surrounded by some expert professionals, our infectious disease professionals nationally, certainly at the CDC and locally here uh, at, at uh, the NIH and so forth, but also our permanente medical group professionals. It was really important that we work with them. And I can't say enough for how they work with us to make sure our communities knew that we would continue to take care of them, that we would not lessen our commitment to equity, and that we work with our, our jurisdictional leaders. It was a time of coming together. And as hard as it was, it really gave me the opportunity in my new role to meet people that I probably wouldn't have met for many months later. So as an important final thought on this particular topic, topic I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, recognize everyone who pushed through this pandemic. And of course, I don't want to act like it's gone yet. We hope it's gone, we hope it's receding. Um, but of course, our frontline workers were nothing short of heroic. Um, they were there for all of us. Many, unfortunately, got COVID themselves from the community and so forth. They hung in there, just so proud of our folks. All of them, our physicians, our clinicians, everybody, because we would not have been able to do this without them. Absolutely, Ruth, and I think your your comments encapsulated so well the confluence of factors that made the past two years such a challenging time, and especially to be at the helm of um, you know, such an important kind of health health crisis. Um, so we, at the, as the region, are just grateful to have you at the helm and um, and leading these efforts. And thank you to all the healthcare professionals for the tireless work throughout the pandemic. Um, we would not be where we are today without their commitment and dedication. And I know as we go on, we're gonna talk about some of the mental health um, questions, which are so important during this time. Um, well, pivoting again, Ruth, I know Kaiser plays such a huge role in local communities, whether that's through small business support, um, providing access to capital to underserved communities, um, making financial investments, um, advocating for transportation projects. Kaiser has truly embedded itself in the community through these programs, through initiatives to create a better way of life for residents. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about Kaiser's investments in communities and why that work is so important as we think about social determinants of health and your organization? Francesca, thank you for raising this issue um, because we know that while we um, we work with our with our members and our communities to take care of their health needs, we know that people don't live in our offices, they don't live in our facilities, they live in their communities, and so social determinants of health become hugely important to this work and the work we do with the communities that we serve. As as many of our listeners may know or will know, these are the conditions that are out in the social places where people live, where people work, where people learn, where they play, where they age, and that affects health. Um, it affects the quality of life. And our mantra, our goal, is we want to give people the most healthy years 
that they could have. And, and if you have your help, you can do so much. If you don't have your help, you are limited. And so when you have your help, you can lead yourself toward economic stability, access to education, job opportunities, all the things that we want to do that make life just livable for us. So where there's less of that, then we see disparities. Um, Kaiser Permanente has been in this work forever. It is not new for us. And, and while we're seeing some progress, there's still inequities. Um, they, they were made worse by the, type, by the pandemic, quite frankly. And I think we've all seen that. Um, so we know that because we saw those inequities really rise up and become more visible and become more acute, this tells us that it is not a time to stand still. There are so many basic needs that people have and so many challenges that people are facing. When we think about what disparities and inequities are, they show the chasm between the quality of life and the opportunities for some as compared to the marginalization of others uh, and, and their communities and what they experience. So that chasm is that divide. So if you're not affected by that, you may not see the you may not see it. You, you just may say, this is all about nothing, but it is real. We see it, we work with it every day. So even today, at a time with so many medical advancements, staggering disparities persist, and they are often uh, preventable, quite frankly. A healthy person, if followed by a provider consistently and supported over time with interventions, can have a very different outcome. And I'll give you one example. And this is a sad example, but it's true. Here in the US, black women are three times more likely to die during or after childbirth than white women. This means that the odds of surviving childbirth are comparable to those women living in Mexico and Uzbekistan. Um, we can do better than that. Uh, and also black women are 60% more likely to experience preeclampsia in pregnancy. And, and preeclampsia is uh, high blood pressure, but there are there's a whole syndrome that goes with that. There are 60% more likely to experience preeclampsia than white women. It's a leading cause of maternal death, uh, according to the U.S. Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. So these, these aren't figures we're making up. They are, are figures that are, are documented. And, and they can't be contributed attributed to one issue. Rather, it's a confluence of many factors. So our responsibility, we see our responsibility as to undo that damage where we can and to move upstream and prevent the future well, the, the future gap. So this is a time that we want to lean into this work to achieve social equity and support inclusive growth. As leaders, this is our charge, and I believe it's one of the most important things that we will do in our lifetimes. So supporting inclusive growth and access to basic needs such as care, affordable housing, economic opportunity, we can address the disparities and advance equity when we listen, we plan, we implement for the people and involving the people who are most impacted. So this is an approach we are taking in a few ways. Um, I talked about care. We want to be a trusted voice to educate and provide care. Uh, for instance, in West Baltimore, through a collaboration called Good Health, Great Care, we bring primary and behavioral health into our beloved barbershops and beauty salons, spaces that are inherently trust, quite frankly, and where people go. We offer care in our medical centers as well, of course, but we also work in these communities where we are. Another example would be 
our healthy business support of uh, communities. And we work with a program called Intercity Inter Capital Connections. We often refer to it as ICCC, where we strengthen local small businesses to ensure that they too can grow as we grow. So we do this in many places. Uh, one participant in Baltimore, uh, Nakinji Nassim, this is a real person, founded uh, Learning How, and she said that ICCC offered her a chance to stay on her childcare business. With our support, she was able to hire local employees who may live in neighboring communities and shop at local stores and raise their families here too. Everything is interconnected and most people want to work. They want to contribute. They don't want to be on public assistance. Um, some need it, but most want to work. So um, we want, we are also working to make a difference in supply diversity. Um, this uh, translates to our intentional spending of our resources with diverse suppliers. So last year, Kaiser Permanente as a whole spent $3 billion across our organization with diverse uh, suppliers, uh, with 127 million of that right here in our mid-Atlantic region. That infusion goes into communities that have been marginalized to chip away at those disparities or economic divides. It's an integral piece of what we do, of who we are. And then we produce and preserve affordable housing, uh, specifically along the Purple Line. As you know, the Purple Line has been in development for some time. We're monitoring its progress because we know that the new development it could draw could displace residents and businesses. However, to prevent displacement and offset those impacts, we have contributed $5 million in investment capital to support affordable housing along the corridor. And we participate in the Purple Line Corridor Coalition. So I could go on and on, uh, Francesca, but th these are just some of the things that, as you can tell, I'm excited about and we're excited about them. So just a few things. Wow, Ruth, thank you so much for sharing those vignettes, sharing examples of the important initiatives that Kaiser is working on. Everything from meeting communities where they are in barber shops to investing in small businesses to supplier diversity. It's just tremendous to see kind of the depth and breadth of the work that Kaiser is doing for our community. Um, and you couldn't have said it better, you know, health is really a cornerstone to an individual being able to live um, a successful, happy life. Um, and, and inclusive growth really requires taking this holistic approach because we know that any individual relies on access to safe, affordable housing, quality transportation, healthcare, education, capital, in order um, to be able to, to live a productive, happy life. So thank you for, sh for sharing and for all that Kaiser is doing. Um, so diversity, equity, and inclusion is so central to the work of the partnership. And you know, we thank you and the Kaiser team for supporting all of our inclusive growth initiatives. Can you tell us a little bit about Kaiser's emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion? and how you as a leader keep those goals central to your work and to the organization? Well, again, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this, Francesca, because this connects so closely uh, to our social determinants of health. And so I'm gonna spend a little time to just give a flavor of what we've woven together. Um, equity is deeply ingrained in who we are. You've heard me say that uh, this morning. So we are working to advance equity within the organization and in our care for our members. You know, I, it's important to me that we don't just talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. We have to do something. 
if we're talking and not doing something, then we really haven't made a difference. So it's important to us to be intentional about our efforts, to really believe in and commit to the work that we do and be accountable for making a difference. So we look at our data to drive our efforts, such as some of the examples I shared about maternal and infant mortality in Black women. Those data tell us that we need to be doing more. I, it, it really uh, just impacts me personally and professionally that we have to talk about these statistics at a time like this. So our strategies are informed by what we learn from other public health leaders in our own research centers, which I talked about earlier. Um, these study shows us the risk related to maternal and infant mortality. And the reason I focus there, because if people don't get a good start in life, they're always going to be behind. And so we, it, it took me a while. I, I never worked with infants and children when I worked clinically. And so, but it took me a while as a professional to realize that if you don't get a good start as an infant, um, you, you're probably not going to get the benefit of all that you should get in life. So Kaiser Permanente worked really hard on this. So we launched a national women's and children's health strategy uh, with several practices, such as perinatal patient as a perinatal patient safety program and universal screening standards and treatment for mental health and substance abuse during pregnancy. Um, in addition, here in the mid-Atlantic states, we are offering group prenatal care for our members our practice called centering. And this model has been shown to decrease disparities in birth outcomes, specifically in preterm deliveries, which, which just sets uh, a, a child back and, and, and sets everybody back. And across the board, we are working to achieve equitable health outcomes for everyone, for all of our members through our care, our practices, and our partnerships. We do this by leading and screening for cancers that disproportionately impact our, our Black patients and through nation-leading hypertension control and much more. And the impact, I, I am just, uh, I, I, I'm just so happy to say this, our research, new research from our uh, Kaiser Permanente Research Institute in Mid-Atlantic shows that from 2014 to 2017, patients insured by Kaiser Permanente Mid-Atlantic states had significantly higher life expectancies when compared to patients in a national data set from the CDC. Um, that is important. That increase was six years longer, six years for all of our members when compared with the national average. That's a significant amount of time that we're giving people more healthy years. And that's what I mean by doing something. Um, I, I like to say talk is cheap, but this is actually doing something. We also uh, hire diverse talent. When it comes to interviewing and hiring for our team, we're building an intentional talent pipeline of people who are diverse leaders and, and who are diverse providers. This is important because when we adhere to systematized structures of racism in our hiring, not only do we harm the community, we can do ourselves. We can't get the best of everybody when we place people in categories before we know what they can contribute. So in contrast, we would get less than we were because we've already made assumptions about what people can do and what they can't do. So we try to avoid that. Through meaningful allyship, we're working to be better advocates, to build trust and to ensure diversity. So we're doing a lot of things. On my own leadership team, 
uh, I always look for the best person on the job and they will ideally represent high diverse workforce. We have many efforts underway and I will not tell you because I can't tell you that we've arrived. We're still struggling, but this is important to us and uh, we're doing everything we can um, to, to, to level that. When I refer to challenges, we have some challenges, and when I refer to those challenges, I'm referring to inequities that I've heard in schools, at universities, among employers. So, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. We want to do our part, and we also recognize that we can't do it alone. We need allies. We need collaboration with others. And so we are going to work with others to really achieve and lift and lift some of this um, to get us where we all need to. Oh, absolutely, Ruth. And I think what you just shared really reflects kind of best practices, doing that scan internally um, to make sure that Kaiser is operating consistent with its values, promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion. I'll say from personal experience, every interaction we've had with the Kaiser team has really embodied um, kind of those DEI values and um, the slate of people we've worked with has been so diverse. So, uh, you know, congratulations there. And then externally, really doing that assessment of health outcomes to understand where there are racial disparities, where we can close the gap on things like, you know, maternal health outcomes and congratulations to Kaiser's work in really moving the needle um, and kind of closing that Delta. So thanks again. Thank you. And as we started to talk about at the beginning, um, you know, COVID has really taken a disproportionate toll on the health workers who have had to face this day in and day out, who haven't, you know, been able to um, stay in their homes and kind of shield themselves from the pandemic. So talk to us a little bit, you know, supporting your employees and their mental health during the pandemic. I know it's been such a, a core focus for you. So how have you dealt with some of the issues that healthcare workers have had to deal with around burnout, other mental health challenges, and just the toll of the pandemic to industry workers at large? You know, Francesca, the pandemic took a huge toll on all of us. Um, in addition to physical illness, uh, it strained people's mental health, as, as you just mentioned. Um, and, it, you know, when you think about being a frontline worker and having to, when we were at the height of the pandemic, having to put on just all the PPE to get in, a, in it, to get out of it, um, go home to your families. I don't think people normally think about that. You know, when you talk to most, most direct care workers, they talk about having to change their clothes and shower before they can go and talk to their families or interact with their families because they didn't want to bring the disease home with them. And every day you worried about that. And I'm not saying that's all people worried about, but that is a very visible thing. And so we wanted to make sure that we reinforced not only the safety, but also a culture of flexibility and kindness and understanding that each person's situation was unique. We wanted our teams to know that we saw them, we heard them, we deeply valued them. And we're doing some things now that things aren't quite as tense to just interact with them more, to let them know how much we appreciate them today, how much we appreciate all they've done, how much their families have sacrificed. So we started something called a Healthy Workforce Program, which really helps our employees manage stress, and, and helps them with their, with their mental health, um, their anxiety. You know, you can imagine having young kids or if your parents, your older parents 
live with you or don't live with you. Some people hadn't seen their parents in like two years. And, you know, they they were wondering about them. They were talking to them. And then if you live in a home with small children who couldn't be vaccinated, you worried about them. So that's all stress that I don't think we think about every day, but it's a stress on the mental health of our health professionals. So this we, we include some mental health training for our managers and for our employees. We teach everybody how to reduce the stigma and create a work environment where employees can speak openly about mental health. Um, and then we created what we call a national rebound plan to help our leaders and teams heal and cope with the stress and trauma from the pandemic. I don't know that we will, it'll be a while before we see the true impact of this pandemic and all the it's, it's done, you know, to negatively impact mental health on our employees. But we are doing all we can to care for our employees and making their mental health a priority. It's it's tough, and I think we're going to be dealing with this for a while. Um, but we, along with others, are trying to do everything we can to support. Thank you, Ruth. Um, I think you're absolutely right. The pandemic kind of fundamentally changed our, our society and has impacted all of us in different ways, personally, um, and especially with healthcare professionals. So, um, you know, appreciate you helping paint that picture of just how challenging it was for many of them um, having to, you know, sequester themselves from their families and, and day in and day out kind of mm -hmm. see the, the impacts of the pandemic. So, Ruth, to, to close our session in talking about purpose and mission-driven work in your time here in the Washington region, you know, I know you've, you've been here around two years now. What do you think the region excels in? What, what excites you about the region? And then on the flip side, what do you think are some areas of improvement and ways that we can foster um, increased collaboration across sectors? Well, let me just say, I, I'll start with the headline is saying, we're in the nation's capital. That's a big deal. Uh, that is a huge deal. So, uh, so that brings a lot of cachet um, uh, with it. And so we, we're uniquely positioned as a region because we are where we are geographically. And, and while I've shared some of our efforts with a sense of pride, as our team, as remarkable as we are with this, what I believe we do, especially right here in Mid-Atlantic, is to bring together all of the moving parts. Here. That's what we do with others. We don't do it alone. We do it with others. We try to create options for our members to get all the care they need. And we work with other providers, with other hospitals. So we do a lot of collaboration. Um, we give award-winning doctors the technology and the space to provide what they provide uh, and to do care. And as a region, you know, we've got so many assets working for us. First of all, we have people here who have tremendous experience, international experience, national experience. We have people here from all over the country. And so we bring that talent here. We have people who've been in the military. We are very rich with veterans. Um, we're very rich with resources. And I think we are at a unique time to really start to just tap into these opportunities. The possibilities are infinite. We are, I, I'll just say we're uniquely positioned to deliver so much. That was why I was so drawn to being here. This part of the country is unlike any other where you get, you get NIH, for goodness sake, where we have some of the foremost positions and we've got wonderful healthcare organizations, researchers, dynamic companies, 
centers of learning, government and community leaders, we have so many natural assets. So I believe that this partnership, what you're doing for inclusive growth, what we're all doing together, we can address these, initi these initiatives and tap into all the talent we have, you know, and the natural assets we have. So I, I am pleased to see that what we're doing through the Greater Washington Partnership is to, pulling, is to pull these assets together to make them into something because when they're interwoven, they're so much stronger. So I, I look at just, if I just stop with the people assets, but then you got the physical assets, the government. So we've got a lot to build on. So bravo to Ray Washington Partnership for bringing us all together because we are proud to be a part of this work and proud of what we're doing. And I think it's gonna set the table for the future. Ruth, thank you so much. That is music to our ears at the partnership. And uh, to me as a, a DMV native, you know, I. I couldn't agree more. Um, our region has so many incredible assets, such a diverse population, educated populace, so culturally risk rich. We are the seat of government, but we also have a thriving private sector. And we have people coming together, really leaning in around these topics of racial equity and inclusive growth with the recognition that our region will be stronger if we're more inclusive and more equitable, we'll be more resilient, we'll be faster growing, and we'll be able to harness the potential of all of these um, historically underserved groups and we'll be stronger together. So um, we are so fortunate to have leaders like you in our region to learn from, to set the example, and uh, we're just so grateful to, to be working with you and, and Kaiser Ruth. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Take. This episode was produced by Jenna Klein, Christian Rodriguez, and Nina Sharma. If you like what you heard, share it with your network. For more information and to access all of our podcasts, events, and publications, visit greaterwashingtonpartnership.com.